Hi, my name is Dr. Sarah Adams. I am a board-certified pediatrician, but I'm not your pediatrician. Feel free to use my podcast as helpful information, but in no way do I intend my podcast to replace the advice of your physician. Your physician knows you and is in the best position to provide medical advice. Hello, and welcome to Growing Up with Dr. Sarah. I love this time of year. In Northeastern Ohio, the weather is starting to get a little bit colder, but it's still very comfortable. The sun's shining, the leaves are starting to change, but September also brings colds, allergies, sometimes your asthma could start to exacerbate. So in this episode, we're going to kind of tackle and learn how to combat. Mostly we're going to talk about the common cold because that's something we see the most of. We're going to talk also about the differences, like how do you know if it's a cold or it's allergy symptoms? And then a few tips to just help your child really battle through this month and next month, especially while the weather's changing and they're back to school and they're starting to share germs and we all know how that goes. So let's get started. You know, the common cold is usually caused by a virus, and unlike a bacterial infection, which can be treated with an antibiotic, antibiotics have really no use or help when treating a virus. So it does get very complicated, and you feel helpless as a parent. I know I did. You know, there's symptoms they whether they're little or even up to teenage years, you know, it's miserable. Cold sometimes can just be very simple, little congestion, little runny nose, and sometimes it can really wreak havoc on our children. And we want to do what's best for them. But unfortunately, there's no medication specifically. We'll talk a little bit about some things that you can do to help them be more comfortable. But in this situation, an antibiotic is not going to help. So Let's start with just nasal sprays or nasal uh, saline nasal drops. You probably have heard your doctor recommend this, whether they're a baby and on up. And it really is effective. So saline is basically like a nice salt water solution. Sometimes you can make it your own, but I recommend just getting it over the counter. Many times it comes in a spray, but I try to tell parents that have infants, for example, to you can practice making it a drop because the little noses under 12 months of age may not tolerate having like the spray go up, especially in those first few months. So what I recommend is kind of practice with the nasal spray if that's all you can find. If you can find uh, saline nose drops, that's a whole different story. But with the spray, you can try to, you know, practice doing a drop and just one drop or two in each nostril can really help break up that mucus so that they can breathe better. They can eat better, especially if they're um, nursing or bottle fed and it's hard for them to suck, swallow and breathe at the same time, but also make your older child or toddler adolescent more comfortable by using the spray. And what I usually recommend too is, especially with the little ones, you know, under six months of age, is the is this the bulb suction or you may have heard of some other products that you know you kind of use the suction and and you um, use it to to 
to provide the suction yourself. I mean, I wouldn't use, I wouldn't come up with your own device to do that because you want to make sure you do it safely. But the ones that I'm talking about have like a little filter. So as you're trying to, you know, provide that suction, you're not going to get that mucus in your mouth, which would be pretty gross. But if all you have is the bulb, what I want to remind you is squeeze the bulb first, then gently put it into one side, you know, one of their nose, side of their nose, and then gently release. If you don't squeeze it first to kind of create that suction, putting it in and then squeezing is is not going to work. So squeeze it first, gently put it in to make a seal, and then gently open the bulb so that you can suction. I will tell you, they won't like the nose drops. They won't really like being suctioned. And so, you know, don't, as long as you're being gentle and, you know, you're talking them through it and explaining, yeah, I wouldn't like this either. It's, it's okay because I don't know about you, if you've ever done nose drops, you know, it goes in the back of your throat and it's like, you know, so basically what I'm trying to say is it's going to be a little uncomfortable for them. Make them as comfortable as you can. But I will tell you above all things that you can do to help them with the common cold, that's one of them. So, a slight amount of suction, like I mentioned, will pull that clogged mucus out and should be able to help them breathe, should absolutely be able to help them to suck, you know, at the same time better when, as I mentioned. But you'll find this works best for babies under six months of age. Once they start to get older, they're definitely going to resist that suction uh, process. It's not to say that between six months and 12 months you shouldn't try, but I'm just saying that it, it might be a little bit harder to do. But the, but the saline drops will definitely help. I also recommend running a humidifier. And I get lots of questions about humidifiers. My favorite is a cool mist humidifier vaporizer. And I really recommend just using water, you know, don't distilled water if, if, if available is really the best. But what I am saying is you don't want something that's too hot because Cool air helps to shrink the mucous membranes in the nose and the back of the throat, etc. So by using a cool mist, that will help. You don't want it blowing directly on your child or your baby. Just put it at a distance that is good in the room. And you want to make sure that you are washing and rinsing out that water every single day. Follow the manufacturer's recommendations in regards to how to care for your humidifier fire or vaporizer. And I'm not a huge fan of putting medication. I know that there are some that you can do that with. You know, if that's something you really want to do, talk to your pediatrician or healthcare provider because you want to make sure that you're using it safely as well as for the appropriate ages. So why does a humidifier work? Basically what it does is it moistens those mucous membranes so that they don't get too dried out. I tell people in my practice, have you ever woken up the next morning with the cold and your nose is all dry and crusty and things like that? And it's really uncomfortable and it's very hard for them to breathe that way. So it 
It keeps things moist. It keeps the mucus thin. And it could even help clear the passages just by having that nice mist in the room. But you want to make sure in addition, I'd said, you know, don't spray it on your child, you know, don't have it blowing on your child. But you also want to keep it out of reach so that they're not getting into it as well. And as I mentioned, cleaning it according to the manufacturer, because you don't want, you know, growth of mold or bacteria or buildup of minerals. And if you have, you know, if you're trying to figure out exactly how to do that, you can go to epa.gov and look up, you know, quality and how to safely take care of your home humidifier. How to help with your child's cough. Now, I have a whole nother podcast that talks about cough, so I highly recommend that you listen to that. But I just want to mention a couple things. One is honey. Honey has been proven to show that it helps with cough. Now, most important thing to know about honey is it is only good for those that are 12 months or one year and older. Babies 12 months and under are susceptible to something we call infant botulism. Infant botulism is caused by bacteria that grows within the gut. And it's because of the way that the honey is unpasteurized. And even if you say I'm going to buy pasteurized honey or any kind of special honey, I still don't recommend it because infant botulism can be very serious and it's very important that you wait until the child is one. Okay, so now let's talk about a child that is one. So there are different ways that you can give the honey. You really want to make sure that, again, they're over a year of age. And I'm going to read some... um, some recommendations. So if they're one to five years old, then the recommendation is a half a teaspoon. And you can do that one to like, I always say one or twice a day, for example, six to 11 years, one teaspoon of honey. And for children 12 years and older, you can do up to two teaspoons of honey. Now, if you do this before bed, I want to give you a tip. Make sure that they are brushing their teeth afterwards because we want to avoid teeth tooth decay. There's a lot of sugar in honey. And although it's natural, we certainly don't want to cause tooth decay and that sugar sitting on their teeth as they're sleeping through the night. Let's talk a little bit about cough drops or lozenges. I will tell you, I have always been a mother who was like, freaked out about kids and choking. And, you know, when it came to my kids, I'm pretty sure that my son who's in his thirties is still is not a big fan of hard candy. So when we talk about uh, cough drops or cough uh, or the lozenges, you absolutely want to make sure, like, I wouldn't recommend any child under four years of age use it, But I also want to say, if you have a six-year-old who might be more prone to kind of gagging or not being able to manage it, whatever your child's age is, developmental level, you want to use, you know, that in mind. Because when I say, oh, it's okay for four and, you know, older than four, that doesn't necessarily mean that it would be safe for your child, depending on what their situation is. But for those older kids that, you know, you think that they could definitely handle it, what happens is that it does help kind of soothe. Of course, it's temporary, but sometimes it it, it definitely can make them feel better. But the choking risk, risk is real. And whatever you do, follow the instructions on the packet, okay? 
what about like those rubs? And, you know, the, the, um, I remember when I was a child, oh my gosh, they would just that methylated ointment or vapor rubs, you know, my, my mom would use all the time. And again, you want to make sure that you're reading the package, you know, the recommendations. I usually say children over two, and um, two years and older, rub just a small amount on, you know, their upper chest or under their neck. You want to make sure that you keep it out of reach of the children because, and you only want to use it topically. It's not something that you would have them ingest, for example. And as I mentioned, as with any medication, please read and follow the directions very carefully. Other things that you can do when your child has a common cold is give them something to help them feel comfortable, such as acetaminophen or Tylenol or ibuprofen, which you know many know is like Motrin or Advil. And what I want to say about this is it is important to know whether your child has a fever because a common cold sometimes can, you know, these viruses can definitely cause fevers. But I do want to mention that you don't want to mask fevers either. So it gets kind of tricky. But if you check, they don't have a fever then you just want to give it because they just seem uncomfortable, for example. That's something to talk to your pediatrician about and absolutely talk to your pediatrician if they have a fever because this could be indicating as well that it's something a little bit more serious. Remember, a fever is just something that a child who is, is fighting something, which could be a virus that can lead to that common cold symptom. For this particular podcast and information, I'm talking about using acetaminophen or ibuprofen for basically for comfort in a child with a common cold, with common cold symptoms that do not have a fever, for example. Now, if they do, or if you decide to give these products, I want to recommend that you use products that only have acetaminophen in it or ibuprofen. What do I mean by that? So I'm going to talk a little bit about like over-the-counter cold medications and cough medications for children. But what's most important is you don't want to give them something, it might say fever reducer, but then it's also got cough and cold medicine in it too. I really try to tell my families, look, just one ingredient. You want to give just one ingredient instead of a combination because then, you know, so it just use acetaminophen or ibuprofen and always make sure you check in with your doctor if the child is under two years of age. And I want to remind you that if any baby three months or younger has a fever, that calls that could be an emergency. So I definitely want you to call right away if your child is under three months of age and has a fever. If they're over two, you can check the label. You know, if, if you don't know, if you know your child's weight, use that. If you don't, a lot of times it'll give you information in regards to their age. And I do want to make sure too, like if for some reason you're using a syringe, make sure you know exactly how much you're supposed to give and use the correct syringe. So I'm going to give you an example, like some syringes are marked by point something, something, you know, some syringes are marked by one, two, three, four, five milliliters, for example. So you don't want to give somebody who needs 
0.5 milliliters of the medication and accidentally give them five milliliters. So make sure you know exactly what dosage and exactly what instrument or what method you're using in order to give it to the child that you're measuring it correctly. And if you're not sure, again, don't be afraid to ask your healthcare provider because they can help you with that as well. So like I said, these are dosed typically in milliliters. And um, just to kind of give you an idea, I would say like five milliliters is a teaspoon. But I, you know, in the old days, we used to definitely use teaspoons, tablespoons, etc. You really want to make sure you're using a tool that actually measures in milliliters, whether it's a syringe, as I mentioned, a li- one of those little dosing cups, or or even a measuring spoon that has something that's in milliliters versus like, uh, you know, you're just pulling it out of the drawer, for example. Absolutely do not give your child aspirin. Aspirin has been known, especially in common colds or viruses, to cause a very serious illness called Rye syndrome. So no aspirin, just acetaminophen and ibuprofen. And ibuprofen can be used for any child six months of age and older. Again, if they're under two, you want to talk to your pediatrician about that dosage because likely it's not going to be on the label. And if they're over over to, as I mentioned, the weight, the age, and and of course, call if you have any questions. So let's go on now and talk a little bit about cough and cold medications that you can find over the counter. Again, I'm an old, I'm an old soul. I'm an old person. I've been practicing pediatrics for 27 years as, uh, and so in the old days, they, you know, we, I remember we had medication that was over the counter that I could give my infants. And what we know more about these medicines is that they are not safe for infants and not safe for children under the age of six. So it's very important that don't be afraid to like if if grandma or great grandma or an aunt and uncle is like well we gave it to my kids they're probably right but those were specifically formulated for infants and those are not available anymore because of the safety risk so all the medications that are provided over the counter most often are recommended for six and above. There might be some that are four years and above. And um, and if you have questions, you know, the pharmacist too can absolutely answer those for you if you're not sure. And again, you want to use things like if they are six and older, you want to use products as much as best you can to please use single you know, medication. So, you know, those cough, cold medicines, you know, talk to your healthcare provider, but especially in the little ones, it's very important to just have, you know, single things like, you know, that, that instead of not knowing exactly an example, like I mentioned is a lot of those cough, cold medications have acetaminophen or Tylenol in it. And let's say you were giving them that and you were giving them Tylenol, you would be double dosing them. So it's really important. Read that label, know exactly what you are giving to them. So as I mentioned, you know, you might you wouldn't be prescribed an antibiotic for a common cold, but if your child is prescribed an antibiotic, it will it would likely be for something like a secondary bacterial infection. So what do I mean by that? 
So remember, antibiotics don't work against illnesses that are caused by viruses, but sometimes they can start out like a virus and then linger, linger, and bacteria wants to join in the fun. I always say like, you know, if you've got a lot of mucus in in the upper respiratory symptoms, especially in an older child whose sinuses are developed, they may develop a sinus infection or an ear infection, um, make them more susceptible for a throat infection because their immune system is a little bit down. So let's say the symptoms have gone on for more than seven to 10 days, then and or if their symptoms are getting worse or changing, or if they do develop a fever, that would be a good time to talk to your healthcare provider and have your child checked to see if they do have a secondary bacterial infection. And then in that case, the antibiotics would definitely help. So again, what are some of those symptoms like an earache or discharge from the ear, sinus pain or like headache here, trouble breathing, um, rapid breathing? Those, of course, you would want to make sure that you talk to your doctor and especially if they have a fever that won't go away for more than three days because, you know, or if it goes away like for 24 hours, for example, and then seems to come back, then that could likely be a secondary bacterial infection. And if they develop these symptoms, make sure you let your pediatrician know. It is very important if your child does develop a secondary bacterial infection and you are prescribed antibiotics for them, that you take it as directed and you finish it, even if they feel better. I will tell you as a mom, I can remember, especially with my older kids, you know, and I would be like, oh gosh, you know, did we give them, did we, did we do the medicine? You know, if they're older and they're taking a, a pill or a capsule, you can count it out. Once everybody starts to feel better, then you start kind of going back to your busy, busy schedule. So the idea is just make sure that you are, you know, setting an alarm or maybe marks on a calendar, whatever you have to do to remember to finish all of the medicine. Because if if you don't, if, you, if the antibiotic medication is, um, is not completed, then the infection may get worse and it could even spread to the body. So make sure again, you know, that you finish all of it. And again, going back to the right dosage, you want to make sure you have the right tool in milliliters so that you know exactly how much to give your child and you know you're using the right tool in that's marked in milliliters so that you're giving the right dose. Well, a lot of times too. So that's a little bit about how to kind of combat the common cold and what to do if they do end up with a secondary bacterial infection. But one of the questions that I see a lot in my practice is a mom or dad or caregiver will say, well, I'm not sure if they just have a cold or if it's allergies. We know, again, like I mentioned in my intro, that this is the time of year where we do tend to find you know, get some allergy symptoms due, you know, to hay fever, you know, the leaves are changing and so on. And we are starting to close our doors, which means that we're going to, our kids are going to be exposed to dust, dust mites and, and things like that. So what can happen is, you know, colds very often 
you know, it's hard to kind of distinguish, okay, is this an upper respiratory infection or is are these allergy symptoms? So what I want to remind you too is that to remember that infection, upper respiratory infection are spread, you know, from the sinuses, the nasal passages, the throat, you know, and, um, and can also be caused by several viruses. They're spread by touching a person with a cold or touching an object that the other person touched that has a cold, breathing the virus in the air after someone's coughed or, you know, sneezed in the air. So always want to remind everybody, you know, if you, to before you eat, don't touch your at your mouth, your nose, your eyes, unless, you know, you want to wash your hands, for example. Um, and you want to make sure that if you're the one coughing or sneezing, that you cover your mouth so that you're not, you, you don't completely, you know, negate spreading those, those respiratory droplets, we call them, but you're definitely not going to get more than that. So, Seasonal allergies or hay fever, like I said, are caused by the immune system reaction to like pollen from trees, from grass, from weeds, and it sometimes can be harmful to the body. And this reaction causes symptoms that seem like a cold, right? Allergies often run in the family. So I do, when I'm questioning about symptoms, I always ask when I'm trying to differentiate, is this a cold or is this allergies? Is there, are there allergies in in the family because that is something that we do see. Plus, look at the season. You know, this definitely is a season for some. You know, this is their time of year. And if you're if your child has allergy symptoms all year round, they could be allergic to things um, that are in the home. So, as I mentioned, dust mites, maybe the animals that you have, cockroaches. I hate to even bring that up. So, I have a little. Uh, a, a little cheat sheet for myself. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through some of the symptoms and I'm going to say like, is, are they seen with an allergy or with a cold or both? How's that? So stuffy nose or runny nose. Very often you can see this in an allergy, uh, if it's allergy symptoms as well as a cold. Sneezing. Sneezing, you're going to notice more often with allergy symptoms versus a cold. I'm not going to say that people with a cold don't sneeze because sneezing, especially in infants, is a way to kind of blow your nose. A lot of times your little baby might sneeze because they're trying to get rid of that mucus on their own. But I will tell you that if they're sneezing a lot it, and also associated with some of the other symptoms I'm going to talk about, then it likely could be allergy symptoms, especially if they're an older child and has had the opportunity like three, four years or older to be around more seasons. You know, when I get parents in that have, you know, infants under the age of one, it's kind of hard because at that point, they probably haven't been exposed or built up that immune response against certain allergies. I'm not going to say it never happens. You know, Dr. Sarah with her doctor hat on could tell you what the science says. Of course, mom, Sarah could tell you that, you know, if, if, a, if a child who's nine months old tends to sneeze and get really stuffy and kind of itchy, watery eyes every time this particular dog is around them, then I, I think we've got some indication that there could be. But in general, I want you to know that usually it's it's more likely after they've had the opportunity to be exposed to different seasons that you're going to start to see symptoms of allergy. 
Okay, so he said stuffy, runny nose, sneezing, sore throat, or a scratchy throat. This can often be seen with both an allergy or uh, cold symptoms, and likely because of either their throat dries out, which I would tell you that's another good reason to have a vaporizer or a humidifier in the room, and also because of the drainage from the back of the throat can definitely be painful. A lot of times what I ask parents is, or patients depending on their age, is does the sore throat last all day? Does it does it seem to be worse in the morning or during certain situations, like when they might be exposed to the allergen versus I've got this sore throat and it's all day long, then you know likely it's probably more likely a cold or even an, uh, a bacterial infection. Wheezing. You can see wheezing. Wheezing, remember, is that sound that a child can make when they're getting air out. So it's on expiration of air. So you get that wheeze on expiration. And it's usually caused by mucus and inflammation that is in the lungs, in the in the air, you know, spaces, and also caused by the muscles kind of clamping down like spasming, we call it. So all of a sudden the air gets in, but it gets kind of trapped. And now instead of trying to go through a nice airway, what we're seeing is they're trying to get that air out in a smaller airway because the muscles have kind of, you know, contracted and that mucus is there. Now, I will tell you there, you know, there are scary, there's scary wheezing. And then there's what we call happy wheezers. And, and I'm not saying, you know, if you're, if there's any question about your child wheezing, I would call your healthcare provider for sure. But I do want to tell you that, um, you know, if you hear wheezing, it can be related to both an allergy um, or a cold. Red or itchy eyes. So red, itchy eyes are, yes, very, very common. Definitely going to see that with allergies. And you're rarely going to see that in a common cold. So just to say again, in allergy, red, itchy eyes, definitely could absolutely indicate a uh, an allergy symptom and most likely does not it's not associated with a cold it's very rare i mentioned fever and you know again with the cold you can you can definitely get fever especially in the early parts of the cold symptoms coming on but you should never fevers are not associated with allergy symptoms so if they have a fever it's not allergies or it's not just allergies. You know, of course you can have allergies and cold on top of that, but you will not, if you, if you just have allergy symptoms, you will not get a fever. What about like kind of feeling tired or just like not, you know, kind of low energy or, you know, that kind of stuff. Sometimes you can see that with an allergy just because the symptoms just kind of weigh us down. I had the opportunity to be part of a symposium um, I, I was attending and they were just talking about kind of even the mental uh, wellness of children who suffer from allergies, you know, behavior. Um, but that also includes being sluggish. And sometimes, of course, with a cold, you're going to feel that way. Now, with that, you know, sometimes we see body aches, right? If they have body aches, it is likely not related to allergies. Usually allergies do not have symptoms of body ache. But yes, you could see body aches with the common cold. Headaches, sometimes with an allergy, 
very often with the common cold. And cough, again, sometimes with allergy, very often with the common cold. And that also goes along with like hoarseness of the, of the throat. Now, certain time of year, well, yeah, there are some viruses that come around in a certain time of year. But we all know that amongst the seasons, you know, whether it's spring and all the things that come up in spring, or maybe it's fall and all the things that happen in fall, or as I mentioned, year round, if it's winter, then we close our doors. We're talking about dust mites, something in the home, animals um, and cockroaches. But what I'm trying to say is that if it seems seasonal, it's likely allergy. Again, you don't want to use that as like the only clue that it could be just allergy. But rarely, although with certain viruses we know do come around, like influenza, as example, RSV, um, things like, you know, th the viruses that cause croup, we tend to see when the weather is warmer during the day and cooler at night. But I do want to say that you'll see that seasonality, like every time this time of year, they always seem to get these symptoms, then that's more of a clue that it could be an allergy. Now, what about the need for antibiotics? Well, in neither an allergy or a virus or common cold, you antibiotics, like I said, won't work. You know, I know sometimes we want so desperately to just give them something and help them feel better. But you know, if we give the antibiotic when it's not necessary, there are some things that can be harmful for them. So definitely want to make sure that, you know, you, you understand that because I know it's hard. Sometimes you go see the doctor and you're really hoping for an antibiotic, but you don't get one. I I never use the word, it's just a virus anymore, because a virus can make you feel miserable. And I acknowledge that. But I do want to say that I try to get patients perspective. Don't be afraid to say, you know, it, and ask, is this an appropriate time to get an antibiotic? Because let your doctor know kind of what your perspective and hopefully in a very kind and sensitive way, they'll share with you why they feel at this point that your child does not need the antibiotic. Now, time. So again, allergy symptoms occur when they're when you're exposed to the allergen, whereas a cold can get worse over time. So let's say, you know, if like what I'm trying to say is a cold can get worse over time, whereas your allergy symptoms get worse when you're exposed. So like if your child, every time they go outside, you know, then that's something, but when they're not exposed, their, their symptoms are better. And as far as how long do these symptoms last in either case, with an allergy, they're going to last as long as their exposure to the allergen or what's causing that immune response, as I mentioned. And then with colds, common colds can last anywhere from three days to, to 14 days. But I always like to tell my families, and I'll reiterate this again, that if you're cold lasts more than 10 days or 10 days or more. If you have fever, you know, especially later, because as I mentioned, typically with the cold or virus, you get the fever right in the beginning. If later you start to develop a fever, especially if it's more than three days, if your symptoms are getting worse at any point, then I think it's important to let your doctor know. So I want to just take a minute to talk about asthma because asthma 
exacerbations or worsening symptoms do tend to occur during this time of year. September actually is one of those peak months, depending, of course, on where you live. So asthma attacks, hospital stays tend to be highest. And again, we ask ourselves why. Well, the weather's changing, of course. They're back to school. You know, there's ragweed, there's pollen, there's respiratory, you know, respiratory illnesses. Again, the extreme weather change in Ohio, you know, we could be 80 degrees one day and 40 degrees the next. And again, kids are back in school. But another thing to consider is poor indoor air quality. And so really understanding, like if your child is having, is struggling now that they're back at school, you might want to investigate and ask about what is the air quality. And what I mean by that is, you know, do they do they have air conditioning? You know, what what is their heating system like, et cetera. And I'm just saying, just keep it in mind if, if your child seems to be, if their asthma seems to be worsening. So here are some tips on how to prevent, you know, an asthma attack. And one is, if you have asthma, you should be familiar. And if you're not, I would highly recommend asking your healthcare provider for what's called an asthma action plan. Now, an asthma action plan can be a plan for what you do when you're home and how to manage the asthma at school so that per, the, the, those staff members that are ta- helping take care of your child in the case of an asthma attack know exactly what to do. And it's pretty cool and spelled out. There's a green zone, which means like you have no symptoms. So what do you do on an everyday basis? That looks different for many children. It might be if they have allergies and al- allergy medication or something that they use as a nose spray for their, for their, um, a nose spray for their symptoms. It also might mean that they are on a preventative medication or what we call controller medication inhaler that they use every day for their asthma to prevent. And those are really for children that have moderate to persistent or, you know, more significant symptoms that they need that controller medication. If you have any question about this and could your child be someone who could benefit from that, I would absolutely talk to your pediatrician. So the green zone means we don't have any symptoms. The yellow zone is spelled out and it's very specific for each child about what their triggers are and what it is what in what symptoms that you could see and how and when to use an albuterol. Albuterol is a bronchodilator. Remember I said that wheezing and you know asthma symptoms are caused by that mucus and inflammation and those muscles around the airways that tend to you know kind of contract that make air more difficult to get out. Albuterol is something called a bronchodilator. And what it does is it helps release those muscles so that your airways open up so that you can get those breaths out. And I absolutely recommend that you always use your inhaler, whether it's a controlled controller inhaler or what we call albuterol is called a rescue. Albuterol is not meant to prevent unless it's for as exercise-induced asthma. That could be a whole nother topic. 
Uh, but we use the albuterol in that yellow zone when they're having symptoms and always, we, whether it's control or you're using your rescue inhaler, that you always use a spacer. I don't care how old your child is or if you're an adult or you think they know how to do it. I guarantee you it is going to be more more effective if you if you use your spacer. So just getting used to using it is is really one of the best things that you can do for your asthma or your child's asthma. Of course, we want to stay away from sick people. You know, when we're sick, like I mentioned, respiratory illnesses can certainly trigger your asthma. And so staying away from sick people, wearing a mask, if, especially if you're highly susceptible in certain situations, like if there's a lot of crowds, etc. cetera, um, wash your hands, you know, keep your hands clean. I even, I'm going to throw in for anybody who wants to help not, help themselves not get as sick as often during this respiratory illness season is brushing your teeth. You know, we have a lot of germs and we know that there's a high correlation between oral health and our physical health. So keeping your hands clean is so important. And also oral health is much, is very important. And again, improve your indoor air quality. And if you're not sure exactly how to do that, I would absolutely you know, discuss with the school, discuss with your partner, um, those that live in your home, how exactly you can you can do that because the air quality, or even like your pediatrician or allergist, asthma doctor, if you have one, they can they can help improve the environment for your child in order to uh, minimize symptoms. Again, if your child's asthma is not under control, then you definitely want to contact your doctor. Well, I hope this information has been helpful. I know I provided a lot of information, so I want to direct you to some sites, and they'll be in my show notes as well, where I just confirmed and got a lot of this information. Very easy for you to read as well. That's um, stanfordchildrens.org. They have a great resource in regards to cold and allergy symptoms and kind of how to tell the difference. It's where I got that little chart that I mentioned. I'd also like to shout out to healthychildren.org. I I love it. It's a site from the American Academy of Pediatrics, and they have so much information in regards to how to manage not just the common cold, but so many things that are involved in your child's life. And then I'm highly involved with the Ohio American Academy of Pediatrics, and they have their own website called ohioaap.org, O-R-G, and they have great resources as well for parents, as well as providers, if you're listening, that uh, on, on how to help the children. So thank you for this opportunity to share this information during this fun time of year, but also time of year where we see a common cold, of course, asthma and allergy symptoms. And hey, thanks. And let's grow up together. Thanks for listening to another episode of Growing Up with Dr. Sarah. If you enjoyed this episode and think the information shared here today could benefit someone else, take a screenshot of the episode and post to your Instagram story. Make sure you tag us at Growing Up With Dr. Sarah so we can spread the word about the show and continue to grow in our mission to support as many parents and families as possible. Hey, if you're interested in being a guest on the show or would like to suggest a topic, please visit www.growingupwithdrsarah.com slash contact. 
Thanks again for spending time with us today. Stay tuned for a brand new episode next week as we continue to grow up together.